you for tuning in to another episode of the MJ Podcast. I am she, married to Jesus, yours truly, the one and only, L-B-O-O-G-I-E. And tonight, well, buckle your seatbelts. We are in for a wild ride. The Lord has really been, I'm going to say the word, dealing with me, teaching me about truths from his word about marriage. He's been teaching me of how marriage is essentially what God does when he marries us, right? When we are saved. It's what God does when he saves us is that he marries us as soon as he meets us, as soon as we accept him, right? As soon as we get to know him and we're like, okay, yes, I want to meet Jesus. <laughs> tell me tell me about this guy. You keep saying it's so great. Well, his name is Jesus. And as soon as you want to get to know him, he basically accepts you, not just as a friend, although that is true as well, not just as a child, although God does accept you as a child as well, but... For all of you single folks, when he comes into your life and saves you and quickens your dead spirit and makes it once again alive and connected to God through Christ, God is essentially committed to you and he has essentially married you. His spirit is inside of your spirit. He has sealed your spirit For the day of redemption, you will never again die. You will never pass away. You will only go on to a better place after you take your your final breath in this earth. And that's what he does when he saves us. He says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He makes a life, well, even an eternal commitment. So not only a lifetime commitment while you're here on earth, but an eternal commitment that you can never be separated from him again. That's what salvation is. And Ephesians 5 talks about the mystery is profound. But he's talking about Christ and the church. The coming together of a man and his wife and the two becoming one flesh. Here we go talking about body, two becoming one. And we just talked about salvation One flesh is what basically we're walking around, all of us who are saved, and each of us individually still married to Christ. Isn't that fabulous? I love that. So tonight, we're going to talk. Hopefully, you can get some revelation and some more in-depth understanding of what it means to be married to Christ. Because I know this has been part of my journey Um, And part of my testimony as well, because as you know, when you're married and you're one, like we've talked about with soul ties, the problem with soul ties is that you don't want to be separated. Why? Because you're tied together. Tied together and in marriage, it's supposed to be a permanent tying because again, That's God's design for marriage. 
when you stand up and say your wedding vows, you usually are speaking over your own life till death do us part, which is very powerful because only in death, now this is why they say that only in death do you actually part from your mate, from the one that you're married to. We're not going to get into <laughs> this story, and I think it's Luke, where the Pharisees are the Pharisees are mean to women. And you see that throughout the Bible. They're just very harsh and just rude to women. And so there's a story, and I believe it's Luke, um, that the Pharisees were trying to trip up Jesus. And they say, who is this? And they came up with this bizarre scenario. Who will marry her? In the end, in the resurrection, they all, apparently there was some chick that they were all thinking about and they wanted to know, they set Jesus up and they said, okay, if she's been with this guy and then she, and and he dies and then she marries this guy and then he dies, who will she be married to in the resurrection? And Jesus is, first of all, I'd like to know who is this woman? (laughs) that they're talking about, that they're fighting over in eternity. And second of all, I would like to know, like, what conversations did they have, like, to come, like, oh, yeah, let's go talk to Jesus about this girl. Like, come on. Or maybe she's a fictitious character. Maybe she's just all made up so that they could trip up Jesus. Because honestly, I mean, they did always constantly try to challenge Jesus and honestly kind of hated Jesus if you look at, what they did, it was religious flesh that killed the Messiah, that crucified him. That story is actually in Matthew, not Luke. It's Matthew twenty-two twenty-eight. You can look that up. They wanted to know whose wife she would be in eternity. And luckily, the answer for everyone is no one will be married in eternity. We will all be married only to one, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And only things done for him in the end will be remembered in heaven. So I do hope you'll have something to talk about in heaven because there will be conversations in heaven about the Lord and his glorious, wonderful acts. So let's talk a little bit more about marriage. Ephesians 5 says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. Now, why is that the case? Because they're one. And then it says, no one has ever hated his own body, but he nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. That's why we read the spiritual book called the Bible to commune with him and to get to know who is this man who saved our souls, our eternal souls. Who is this man that is saying he will love us as his own body, cherish us, nourish us as his own body, just like Christ does the church, right? This is the profound mystery that we are the body of Christ, so this is again Ephesians 5, 28 through 30. And so if you think about those things, cherishes it and nourishes it. Well, what was Adam told to do in the garden? Adam was told to tend to 
and keep the garden. He was also told to subdue, meaning that there would be enemies present, or an enemy, at least one, present to be subdued, that there was, you know, trouble in paradise and there would be an enemy there that Adam would need to handle. And we know how that story goes. He did not do that. He he failed there. But what we see is that God is talking about, and, and even in the New Testament, remember, Christ is compared as a new man, a new Adam, right? And so when Ephesians is saying, nourish and, you know, cherish your mate, your bride. He's really saying the same thing that he said to Adam. Tend to, I mean, and and keep the garden. Okay, religion aside, <laughs> let's just talk about relationships. What? is it like to have a man tend to you? Do you know? You can call me any name in the book you want, but I can tell you what it's like to have somebody tend to and care for you and nourish you. You know, forgive me for being spoiled, but at least I've been loved and I know what it is to be loved by a man. The other thing I also know what it is to be hated by men. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's there's a double-edged sword when it comes to relationships. But if you just think about it in like a romantic sense, which, hello, marriage without romance is quite boring. So when God is comparing our relationship to him as the ultimate relationship commitment of marriage, And then he's saying this is how he's going to care for us as a church. He's going to tend to, feed, keep, nourish, cherish. That's how God feels about his church. He loves his church. It's his bride. It's who he takes care of. It's who he defends. It's who he pushes back the forces of the darkness and puts enemies under his own feet to protect the church from. The church has never died. God's people and God's prophets and God's word since Adam, I mean, hello, it's like the, the story of the Bible is still relevant all these years later when the earth is literally about to expire. So this is what God is talking about, an indestructible, incorruptible Christ, an incorruptible God, because he's God, right? Created beings can be corrupted, but not God because he's pure and holy. What he is saying is that his relationship with us is is a romantic one. It is one of love because God is love. And in the Bible, it even talks about spending time in the word and, and reading his word and even going to church should feel like a warm bath. And I don't really want to go there in the romance relationship discussion But I think some of y'all know where I'm going. To be loved and to be romanced and to be cared for and to be tended to. If a woman is treated that way, where would she go? Why would she ever leave? Why would she ever flee? Why would she ever run away? If she is treated the way that God talks about Christ loving his church, why why would a woman ever leave That kind of love, if that's what she's being shown, if that's how she's being nourished, tended to, 
and cared for? Well, the answer is she wouldn't. A woman is not made to leave a man. She's actually made from man. God said when he saw Adam, the man, in the garden by himself, that it is not good for man to be alone. That was a man all by himself. How much less good is it for a woman to be alone when she was never originally alone in the first place? She was made to be the companion and mate, the fit of Adam, the help meet of Adam. She was never made to be alone because she was never alone even when Eve was here. Eve was not alone. She was put under the care of a man. So if God said it wasn't good for the man to be alone and he was alone in the big wide world in the in the earth and God said that's not good because that's not good he won't he wouldn't even he didn't put Eve there. He didn't put Eve on the earth first. Cuz it's not good for even a man to be alone in this world. And he had all these things, a huge fancy garden, a huge fancy beautiful Un, you know, it hadn't fallen, an unfallen world. I don't think that's a word, but <laughs> the world had not fallen. It was a glorious garden that there was never any like crazy temperatures. There were no crazy storms. He had perfect paradise on earth. And then God creates for him the original make and model of woman, which I hope you guys have enjoyed that reel. I know I enjoyed making it, <laughs> but listen, I mean, God said it wasn't good for that man to be alone. The guy who had everything, all the riches in the world, and he was even walking in his God-ordained purpose. And then woman is given to him. So if, if a big, strong man doing all those things is not meant to be alone, it's not good for him to be alone, do you think it's good for a woman to be alone? The man, it wasn't good for the man to be alone. Is it, I mean, is it any better for a woman to be alone? No, absolutely not. That doesn't even make sense because she was under his care. So basically she didn't have a caregiver once Adam pieced out and stopped tending to her, right? A woman is also, it's not good for her to be alone. Man is, is not made to be alone. We were not made to be alone. We were made for communion. We were made for fellowship. And in these days, in these dark days, we are certainly not meant to be isolated and alone and away from the body of Christ. We are called to fellowship with other believers, to mix and mingle with other believers. So ladies, for any of y'all struggling with you know, thinking that God is either punishing you for a season of singleness or, or whatever, you know, negative thoughts have come towards you that, that God is like isolating you. That's not what's happening. God says it's not good for man to be alone. God never wants you to be without support, without fellowship, without wise counsel, without someone to take care of you because it's not good for man to be alone. God knows this about us. God created us and he knows what's good for us. Even though Adam didn't obey God or believe him enough to obey him in the garden, 
and brought sin into the world, sin into the camp (laughs) of the garden, God knew it wasn't good for man to be alone. It wasn't good for man to eat that fruit. But then at the same time, he knew man would do that. He knew man would fall. That is why he already had the plan of salvation. He already knew that he was going to send his son Jesus to redeem and buy back what was lost, his creation, mankind, that he created to give to his son Christ, to give as a gift, as a present to Jesus is literally us. We're his bride. I mean, if you have the mindset that having a woman or having a bride is not a good thing or it's not a blessing, don't worry. God won't give you one because he respects women. Pharisees don't. Pharisees will drag you out, call you names, (laughs) point out all your, your sins in front of a crowd. But Jesus loves his church. He loves his bride. He defends his bride. He protects his bride, even when she's wrong, even when she's fallen. And even if mankind have been given all the earth and they have absolutely nothing wrong in the world, they were literally giving given everything on a silver platter and they blow it because this is we're talking about Adam now. This is what he did. This is basically what he did in modern language. God still in his sovereignty and all knowingness still planned to, to go back to, to go get him right to go get him back to go save his creation and just note to self If you want to know why the devil hates Christians so much, why the devil hates believers so much, why you get marked, you know, to to be hated by the devil once you get saved, you know, because you are basically saved and, and snatched out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. And it's a once and for all, act that saves you because you accept Christ it is unbreakable when you accept Christ there is nothing you can do ever no sin no verbal words nothing you can never be unsaved once you're saved all you can do is die and go to heaven now you can choose how you live in this life but spiritually speaking You can never, ever be snatched out of God's hands once you're one with him. Now, a lot of y'all, this probably does, hopefully this sounds like, oh yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that guy, that one guy who would not let me go. (laughs) But hopefully this is sounding like what love is to you. Because maybe you have parents. It doesn't matter what happens to you or where you are or where you go or what kind of mess you get in, they will come and get you. They will come and rescue you, no matter what. 
That's what love is. God gives us lots of pictures of love in our life, whether it's, you know, a mother or a father or friends. Sometimes it's friends. But this is supposed to be the kind of commitment that marriage represents is God's commitment to us. A man's commitment to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Now, why is the why is the divorce rate so high in the world? Is because this revelation is missing. It's missing from the body of Christ, or there wouldn't be such a high divorce rate in Christian lives. Because if you understand that that's an unbreakable bond, and that's what's intended to hold your marriage together is, is just the covenant itself that you've made before God. That it's literally, it's, an, it's a picture of salvation. You can never get out of his hand. You can never get out of it. Even if you never talked to anybody ever about Jesus ever again, <laughs> you wouldn't be any less saved. And ladies, that's also, and I say ladies because we're the ones who get the bad name when we lose it. And men, not so much. But the virginity that God has given you, that also represents a covenant between you and God. Again, we're talking about covenant. Covenants are supposed to be incorruptible, undestroyable, unbreakable. Now, we know man is flawed. And we know that people fail, which is why God made a new covenant, right? So the the story of Abraham, when he put him to sleep, remember when God created wife, woman for Adam, he put the man to sleep and created a woman, right? From him, from his own flesh and bone, he created a woman. And this again represents a covenant, and so the first man, Adam, failed when he was put to sleep. So, so the picture of the new covenant is actually buried in the story of Abraham when God puts Abraham to sleep. And instead of creating him a wife at this point, because Abraham had totally messed up his life, Abraham is actually asleep and, and God makes a covenant with himself And it's really a picture of God making a covenant with Jesus, the perfect man who does not fail because man breaks covenant. And unfortunately, as a result, because it's meant to be for life, when that's broken, some form of death happens. Usually it's, you know, somebody loses a household or somebody loses a business or somebody, you know, their emotions and, you know, that other person that they were before the covenant is broken, kind of like dies and they become somebody else or somebody new. Why? Because they're no longer one with another person. So they're having to become a new person or one with another man if they get married again in a new covenant. So it's again a picture of a different covenant. The one that man makes with man can be breakable, unfortunately, because of man's sin. So that's where we've talked about before salvation contingent upon man and their obedience and their acts is shaky, shaky foundation. But when God put Abraham to sleep, he was making a covenant with himself so that man could not mess it up. Mankind is going to make mistakes and that's the reason for brokenness. Sin is the reason for brokenness. Sin is the reason for hurt. 
and heartache. Not God. God never created anything bad. Creation chose to rebel. So that is supposed to represent a covenant, ladies. And again, it's also a picture of a one-time thing that happens that you can never get back physically. You understand? Just like spiritually, when you become one with Christ by accepting him as your Lord and Savior, once you accept that and God gives you that salvation, you receive the free gift of salvation, the free grace gift of salvation, God, God will never take it back. He can, he can never take it back. He won't. Why? Because he judicially forgave your sins. He righteously forgave your sins. He righteously punished Jesus Christ for your sins. So God is not going to punish you for your sins when, when you've accepted Christ because punishment and judgment is passed for the believer. You're walking in new life as a resurrected spirit that will never die, will never go to perdition, will never go to hell because if you, that's where your spirit and soul were going before you were saved was to hell eternally. You weren't getting out of that. And again, these, these eternal truths are true and they're well taught in the church. But what's not taught is how is that comparable? What is the profound mystery? And Paul tells us that it's wrapped up when you start to understand marriage. And as we know, God has intended sex for marriage. Because it represents a covenant a woman has with God. And then when she basically either breaks that covenant with God, which I don't know that it's a breaking of a covenant. It's to me, I haven't studied a lot on this, but all I can really say right now is that to me, it's almost like an Old Testament, New Testament thing. Because there's an old covenant and a new covenant, right? Her, Her original covenant, her first covenant is to God, her father, right? And then once she gets married, she has a new covenant. I mean, literally, like, it's that simple and that plain. But we just haven't talked about it because, I don't know, I guess, (laughs) oh, Boogie wasn't raised up yet to have the Married to Jesus ministry. (laughs) So, I don't know. Um, I certainly did not plan on having a ministry about sex um, and intimacy with the Lord. But, um, you know, things happen. And so this is where I am. (laughs) Things happened to me in my life that were out of my control. And so this is now where I am doing just a little bit of sex education biblically as revealed by God's truth and God's word. And again, that bond is meant to be unbreakable. So sex is intended for marriage because it's supposed to tie you together, your flesh together. Your souls will be tied together. Your mind, obviously, your mind, your will, your emotions will be tied together. Um, And again, like I said, when you're tied to someone, the problem with soul ties is because you're tied to them. Usually you don't want to be untied. (laughs) Um, So... Sex, it will help to hold your marriage together. But guys, sex will not keep your woman happy. 
Okay. I know she talks a big game and makes you feel like a a big man and all that, but um, it's not going to keep your marriage together. Okay. Just saying. (laughs) May not want to believe everything she tells you in the bedroom. But sex is holy, sex is good, sex is created by God for our pleasure, but it's created to be enjoyed inside of a marriage covenant. At the greatest point of delight, sex can create life. That in itself is a parable. Because God calls us his delight. And the the reason that he created us is literally because he delighted in us. He loved us. We were to be a present and a gift, a jewel, a treasure to his beloved son. To enjoy. It's a picture of marriage. Somebody who loves themselves will nourish themselves, right? That's a, we're talking about a man here. No man ever hated himself. Most men will take really good care of themselves, but will they take equally good care of their wife? Well, again, not only is Christ a shepherd of the church, but he also talks about feeding people. He fed loaves and fishes, he fed the 5,000. But he feeds people. Ladies, you ever had a man feed you? Not just go out and buy you dinner, but feed you? We're talking about like real tending to and caring for here. We're talking about true romance, love, affection here. If y'all are feeding each other, I mean, that's what you do at the wedding, right? You feed each other cake. (laughs) This is a sign of closeness, of intimacy, of marriage. And this is also what God says he does is that he feeds us spiritual food. Now, do you think God has good food? Do you think he's going to give you poison? No. You think he's going to give you something that you can't swallow? No. A a mother wouldn't do that to a child. I mean, can you imagine being married to a man who tries to force food down your throat? Are you out of your mind? Like you could kill somebody doing that. Like... Why? What What on earth? No, Jesus is gentle and he is loving. And maybe, again, forgive me for my past and my flaws. But maybe I know what it is to be taken care of, to be loved, well loved by a man. And not just in a relationship sense. I mean, like, come on, like, not just... In romance and, and having been in relationships, which by the way, have not ever worked out in the past because I've made mistakes in the past. But just like with my own family, like I know what it is to be loved and cared for. And because of that, my foundation for like right and wrong of what, what love is and what love isn't is not off kilter. And some people's is people nowadays are calling evil good and good evil no my father would never 
hurt me. My father would never do some of the things that I see other Christians doing to other people and calling it God. My dad would never lie to me. My father would never abandon me. My father has always taken care of me. I, I might be spoiled, but I know what it is to be taken care of. Oh, I know I'm a well-kept woman by the grace of God. I know what it is to be well-loved by a man, first of all, because I've been loved by my dad. I have a daddy. I can't even bring a guy home if I don't think my dad will approve. It's like, I can't take this, I can't take this guy home to my dad. Like, I see through his nonsense. <laughs> like, my dad is sure going to see through his nonsense. Right? Like, come on, y'all. Like, God is a good father and a husband. And the things, God is a father and Christ is a husband. The main, and, and he's a savior. So some of your main things that the Bible compares God to and Jesus to and Christ to we try to project our earthly experience on him when there is only good in God. There's no unrighteousness in God. God is good and he does only good. To act like there's something bad in God is to call God a liar. To act like there's something wrong with God means there's something wrong with you. <laughs> God is perfect. We are not. And the crazy thing about all of that is somehow, no matter how messed up we are, he still loves us and cares for us and nourishes us and tends to us and keeps us. Now that's what real love is. So let's just take a quick look again back at my two favorite characters in the Bible, Oh, Adam and Eve. Now, what does he say as soon as he sees her? Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So he actually claims her as soon as he sees her. So she walks in and he like basically knows like as soon as he sees her, that she's the one. And when he speaks out, he claims her that she's mine, gives her his name, man, his last name, <laughs> man. Of course, he adds something to it. But this is what happens in the garden. He chooses her as his mate. As soon as he saw her, he knew she was the one. He had no problem identifying who was his. And then Genesis 2 goes on to say, Genesis 2, 24, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Now, I'm just going to pause there. The Bible says that once a man finds his woman, he's to leave and cleave. Who is he to leave? Well, first of all, his mother and father's house, but he's also his mother and father as his ultimate loyalties, right? Because a, a man is usually dependent on his family until he's on his own and able to support a wife. When the Bible says 
a man is supposed to leave his mother and father, those soul ties of mother and father and of childhood and become one with his wife. Ladies, check your man if he's off in any of these categories. And guys, check your woman if she's off in these areas. Because the Bible says a man is supposed to leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. How much more should a man leave his friends, his uh, friends that are quote-unquote girls, or a woman who has friends that are guys, quote-unquote friends that are guys, if the Bible tells a man to leave even his mother and father to be one with his wife and united with his wife, you think he's supposed to leave all them girls he's talking to to be one with his wife? Uh, honey, he's supposed to leave his mama. He for sure is supposed to leave all them girls behind. And if he ain't, he's disobeying God. And you can actually get before God about that. And God will discipline him on that. God will deal with him on that. Because God told him to leave even your mama and your daddy. And you got the nerve. To act like you got some friendships that are stronger than your own mother and father ties that you're supposed to bring into your marriage. And then you wonder why divorce is rampant. Guys, some of y'all had your your woman torn away from you because a third party came in there and tried to be her friend. Hello, snake in the garden. And started causing problems in your marriage. And if that happened, it's probably because you weren't taking care of your wife. It's probably because you weren't tending to her emotionally. Oh yeah, she's maintaining you physically, boo-boo. She's maintaining you physically. But if you're not maintaining her emotionally, why should she maintain you physically? Why? And ladies, if you're wise, you will, you will check him in that balance. Because if you don't, the one who will get hurt and destroyed by it is you. Hear me, gals. Use wisdom even when you're married. A man has no right to demand that you physically meet all of his sexual needs if he is not emotionally meeting all of yours. Period. That's all there is to it. A man has needs. A man has needs. Well, what about hers, bro? You were supposed to be dead to yourself. <laughs> You're supposed to be laying down your life. And a man still, this is the problem again in marriage. Here comes that selfishness. A man can't lay down his life. He demands his own way to get his needs met, irregardless of how his wife feels. And now, when sex is supposed to be bringing joy, delight, closeness, oneness, it begins to do damage in the heart, mind, and soul of a woman. Sex was intended to create, not to destroy. God always has good and pure and holy purposes for the good gifts that he gives us. All the devil can do is pervert it. So let's talk very quickly about two different types of people first the man and the woman, that the Bible talks about having immoral, like the examples that are what happens when you live a life of immorality. Well, we know there's consequences of sin. 
We know there's not only the loneliness and the brokenness and the heartbreak and the sorrow. The Proverbs talks about a man guarding his way and that in the end, his life, how can, his, how can he guard his life? So now we're talking about like who he is, everything around him, everything he owns, everything he does. The best way to guard all those things is to keep your way pure. Why? How wealthy are you going to be if you got four, five, two, three baby mamas or households or families, even if you just have two? Y'all know this by experience, some of you. You financially will have a responsibility, potentially, for each household that you start. Bro, you got that kind of money? You ain't got that kind of money, then I suggest you don't lay down. (laughs) I mean, think about it. Literally, the decisions that you make to get in the bed and chance procreating with another person will financially impact you for the rest of your life. Now, that's just the money. I'm, I'm just trying to talk to, to some wise counsel, worldly sense. There's obviously spiritual things going on and soul things going on that we've talked about before. But just, just think about it naturally. How many households can you support? Do you really want wealth and money? Well, one of the best ways to do that is to build with one person. How much more peaceful will your life be if there's not two baby mamas that you're trying to appease and deal with? Unfortunately, Proverbs warns about this. And it talks about wisdom. And if you're wise, you're wise for yourself. That's why, hello, tomorrow episode, God calls spilling seed evil. was because God never meant for you to have sex outside of marriage. God never want God didn't want you to spill seed. God wants you to make babies. <laughs> God wants there to be life. God said, "Let there be life." Now, that's Proverbs and also Psalms. Those two books are some of my favorite go-tos if I just don't know what I need to read. And um Proverbs and Psalms, those are like the best books. Um, but anyways, the other example, for, so that that's like how immorality can basically destroy a man's life and hinder his dreams and hinder his purpose and just make his life, a, you know, living pain, living hell is because he, he's got all this drama that he's created as a result of his sins. Now, if you've ha- if that's happened to you, if you're like looking around, you're like, yeah, Laurel, I got like four of them things. <laughs> God can still bless you. Become a man of prayer. Um, Seek the Lord. Read the book of wisdom. Ask for wisdom. And God can turn your hard places and your hard things into blessings. And you can still be a blessed man. It it might look different from you. And and I'm just going to say this. There's some things in the kingdom of God that you can't do with a household like that. Because God has different requirements for priests. But as a believer and a born-again child of God, that those mistakes by no means have to limit or restrict your life. God can actually turn it for your good, just like he could turn anyone's darkness and sin and shame and bad things that have happened to them and turn them around and use it to work good for them in their life. So don't lose hope. Don't think that you're like just 
done for or something like that. No, 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 no. God is able to meet all your needs and su- and supply you with more. But for you men who are supporting three and four children and cutting alimony checks or whatever to a couple different women, you've been burned by that fire enough, hopefully, to back back off it, right? To back off that fire. Why? Because you know it hurts to cut them checks. You know it hurts to spend that time or to make those plans to accommodate or to change plans. You know how hard life is managing more than one household. It's hard enough to keep my little bitty house clean and, and, you know, all the things that I do to take care of my house here. If I owned a huge mansion, it would be even harder and more work. How much harder would it be if I owned several houses? It's more work to it. But guys, again... Let the work be done first in prayer. And that way, everything you walk into has been prayed over. And you're walking with God, the man who who loves you, wants what's best for you, can grow you, can grow your business, can grow, you know, the fruitful things that are of him in your life. And God can put your enemies under your feet. So go to God. Praying for your enemies, which I'm sorry I'm calling them enemies, but I've heard a lot about baby mama drama. I do live in Memphis. So don't be discouraged just because you have that in your background. If you have those kind of enemies, hopefully you don't, hopefully, you know, as you begin to pray for them, you will stop seeing them as enemies because God gave you those children, even though the act was immoral. God saw fit to put life in that belly when you did that. And you just don't know. You just don't know what God might have in mind for you and your children. That's still your flesh and blood. You just don't know what God wants for you and that child. God wants to bless the both of you, right? So... Anyways, the other example would be, oh, the woman at the well. (laughs) My favorite. We know in her story, basically how she ends up after leaving all these guys or whatever happened with them. I think she's on good terms with them because the Bible says she went back to the town and talked to these men. (laughs) And aren't you glad (laughs) she went back to the town and talked to these men and told them about Jesus so I think they were on good terms. But anyways, what we see when we're introduced to her in the Bible is that she's alone in a, in a hard situation, basically. And she's doing the heavy lifting and the hard things of life by herself. Okay, Bones has made the appearance in the background. I do apologize for the noise to let everyone know that I am not alone. I have my little Bonesy boy here. <laughs> Okay, I'm back. So anyways, that's what we see with her is first of all, she's alone. And and second of all, she's doing the hard things of life alone as well. So she's not being tended to. She's not being cherished. She's not being nourished. She's not being cared for. And that's why Jesus steps in and marry her because he's like, look, honey, I know it ain't, ain't none of them five do, you know, picking up the slack, taking care of, of, the, of you like they're supposed to, right? They're using you or whatever the case may be, or you're allowing them to, 
you know, whatever the case may be, um, it's for your own interpretation as you read that, how that story ministers to you. Um, and for me personally, I, I just met the Lord when I was in a place like that. Um, I had met, made a lot of mistakes and I had met him, I think on a Sunday morning at like 11 o'clock, like literally like, like in the heat of the day at like 11 o'clock, um, on a Sunday. And that's kind of how, when I accepted the Lord for me, the whole, give me a drink thing with this woman at the well and Jesus, he's basically asking from her the same thing that these guys have asked for. Give Jesus the time and the attention that you're giving men. Not just that, she's giving herself to these men. Jesus is also asking her to give give herself to Christ, right? To come to know him and to be saved. Because only God can fill that void in our lives and in our hearts to be perfectly known and perfectly loved, right? Men, ladies, men just are not capable. The first Adam got it wrong, sweetie. These men now today's... (laughs) They are not going to be any better. Now, I'm picking on guys. Again, you guys know in this podcast, I do pick on men uh, because the Bible says in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves, boastful, proud. And we know that's true. The cool and honorable thing to do now is to have a harem of women, a whole bunch of women. That's not God. That's the world. That's worldliness. And it's It'll, it'll bring, it'll bring you down, right? I just explained in a small form what a normal person might experience with having two or three households to support, but Solomon himself with having a thousand households to support or whatever, it still cost him his kingdom. And honestly, more than that, it cost him his life. He did not get the blessing of long life because he did not follow God's ways. He went to an early grave and that's exactly what one woman or a lot of women could do to a man. Oh, she's powerful. The woman or the women you allow into your life will affect your life expectancy and it may affect whether or not you have hair. I hear it's hereditary, but maybe... Maybe some women have just stressed their man out so much and now they don't have hair. I don't know. (laughs) So guys, you better wise up and stop following your emotions and feelings. Every time you want to jump into bed with somebody. Remember, Solomon fell. Even Adam fell at the hands of a woman. Why is it that mankind has not learned how dangerous the right or wrong, either woman or women, can be? You have to guard your life. You have to protect yourself. You're valuable. You're valuable to God. So walk in wisdom. Make better 
choices. Ladies, pray for that man, especially if he's not saved. Pray for him and even go back in the town for him and and tell him about Jesus, right? That's what the woman at the well did, basically. She went back and told those guys all about Jesus. You're never going to feel secure. You're never going to feel completely loved or accepted if you're not with somebody who's committed to you in marriage. If you think that person will leave you because you're too temperamental or whatever, if you're, if you're having those fears, well, there's not supposed to be any fear in love. You're not supposed to fear constantly that that person will leave you, that that person won't call you back, that that person, whatever, will be in a different mood that day. That is not God's design for relationships. God's design is marriage and commitment. And honestly, he's, he's for it young. I mean, hello, Eve was all of one day old. <laughs> I mean, get married young and stay together. How much can you build a wealth and an empire if you are one, only having one household, and two, you start doing it young and you're not three, doing it alone? I mean, this is why godliness and God's ways are not only wise, but they're profitable, profit to you, and they will profit you in all things. Godliness will profit you in all things. Why? Because you're not entertaining four and five women that make you spend all kinds of money taking them out. I mean, that right there is a drain on your resources, (laughs) and a recession is coming I mean, it's here. My goodness. So I hope this has helped everyone. I know I've got lots of guy listeners and I love my male audience. I hope that you didn't get beat up too bad. (laughs) But I do side with the ladies and I'm trying to give an honest, unbiased opinion because if it takes two to tango, then I think women ought to have a seat at the table. After all, man has a new and revised standard version. I am she, married to Jesus. Thank you for tuning in.